Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter. So the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's Podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Menopause. If you're a boomer, chances are that day has come and gone, even if you're still feeling the effects of postmenopause. And you may have friends, family, daughters who have yet to achieve the milestone. My guest today is an MD who has specialized in menopause and hormones. He was principal investigator for a scientific study of female hormones. He's authored books on menopause and natural hormones, and he organized a national summit committee on the treatment of women in menopause with bioidentical hormones. Dr. David Rosensweet, welcome to the Boomer Woman's podcast. Thank you very much, Agnes. I did a little bit of homework on you, and you became an MD in the 60s when many of women's issues were still often written off as hysteria or hypochondria. What made you decide to take women seriously and focus on menopause and all the things that go with it? Well, I, after graduation, I launched into acquiring different tools and really was learning how to be a holistic doc from the ground up before there was a name for it. And I had a holistic medical practice in Santa Fe in early 1990s, a patient of mine, Deborah, who was in her mid-40s, stormed into my office one morning before office hours, walked up to my desk, pounded her fist on the desk and said, I'm going crazy and don't think you know me. I'm actually going nuts. Is there anything you can do? And I had serendipitously spoken to a world expert on progesterone about a week before and I gave her some progesterone And three weeks later, I got a letter from her saying, I can't believe this stuff. I'm totally myself again. Thank you so much. And I've never really steered my career. It's divinely guided and really one. (laughs) And Deborah told one woman after another. And before I knew it, I was seeing a lot of women in menopause. And it was very rewarding to me. It's very unusual in medicine that so little can make make such a huge difference. And these hormones are the most powerful chemicals in our body. And when we lose them, there's dire consequences. And to be able to replenish them is so rewarding because patients get to say, oh my God, I'm myself again, I feel great. So 
I followed the bouncing ball. I'll tell you, I was very, I thought this, <laughs> thought this is a great thing. And uh, 30 years later, I'm still, I'm all in. I've been all in for a long time. Wow. Could we start at the very beginning? Could you give us a bit of an overview of hormones? And then more specifically, the reason we're here, uh, about women's hormones and what happens as menopause approaches? Please. Yeah, on a biological level, we have so many thousands of biochemical reactions going on. Uh, if you want to believe in the divine, just study human physiology and biochemistry. And there's varying degrees of influence of these biochemicals. And the most influential, the most powerful are substances called hormones. They're produced by glands, thyroid gland, ovaries, testicles, adrenal glands. And these are the most powerful biochemicals in our body. And they have very profound influence on the day-to-day. -day. So the ability to combine oxygen with food called metabolism and produce energy is guided by hormones, thyroid hormone principally. The ability to do so many different functions is being influenced by these powerful biochemicals. They have their day-to-day -day usage. And the ovarian hormones and testicular hormones, they're very powerful and they guide us. They do so many different functions. For example, Estrogen is so prevalent in the woman's brain as well. I mean, we're, we're all familiar with the, the sexual aspects and the reproductive aspects that hormones can play, ovaries and testicles, but they're universal. They affect bones, arteries, brain, muscles, big things. And we function at a high level uh, using these hormones. They also can be recruited for the stress um, response, the fight or flight, the run from the saber-toothed tiger, um, they, they are recruited for these functions. And midlife, we start losing them. Is there a reason for that? Well, for the, one of the reasons is we drive these systems so hard because we're constantly acting, asking for double duty. We're, if we don't have a real functional response to the stress of life, we can recruit this phenomena called fight or flight that we used to use to run from saber-toothed tigers. There's an intense biology associated with that. And the hormones are at the vanguard of that response. I mean, mothers have been known to lift cars off their children where did they get that extra energy and strength? The hormones were the main driving thing. And, you know, I think throughout history, and certainly identifiable in this day and age, we're not necessarily having a wonderful functional response to the stresses of life. We're having very exaggerated sometimes, or confounding emotional responses to day-to-day -to -day life. And we're recruiting these hormones to do it. And so we wear these systems down. When we're in our 20s, okay, you need some extra biochemicals, here we go. When we're in our 30s, not so much. The glands don't have the oomph that they used to have. And in their 40s, uh, most men and women are feeling the depletions. Now, there's another phenomenon going on 
throughout human history, there was no such thing as menopause. Women didn't live that long. And there's this new phenomena called all of us living longer because of nutrition and hygiene primarily, and who knows what else. And yet it makes sense that there comes an age where we stop reproducing. Better to be a grandmother or a grandfather than a parent in, in when you're 60, for example. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> well, we don't understand the reasons fully, but we do know that these the ovaries cease somewhere in the 40s or 50s. They, see, they cease producing four major hormones. The testicles are declining in men from early on. And there's consequences of that. And simultaneous with the extension of life, we have these abilities to extend our vitality, to not, not suffer the multitude of problems that occur when we lose these powerful biochemicals. We don't think right. We don't sleep right. Our moods are off. 75% of women have life-stopping symptoms in the menopause. Can't sleep, mood, mood issues, vaginal dryness, end of sexuality, bones are lost. You don't see that, but those are hormone dependent. Muscles are lost. You don't see that. But it's what's, and, and as a physician, I get to see people at all ages. So I knew what was going on in the womb and when in infancy and all the way up to 80s and 90s. And I saw what was, was happening to 80 and 9 year olds and how they were losing their ability to walk and stand with stability, and they would fall, and they would fracture their hips and die back in the, you know, decades ago, because they lost their muscles, and they couldn't stand with stability, and they lost their bones, so they were prone to fractures. And when you think about this rise of need for assisted living facility and nursing homes, most of those who are in there are there because of lost hormones. Women lose their testosterone. They lose their muscles. They move from cane to walker in this defining moment of wheelchair. They lose their vaginal health and the muscle that holds up the bladder. They get incontinent of urine. This is how women can no longer stay at home and be taken care of. And so assisted, you know, God bless assisted living facilities and nursing homes, but from personal experience and experience as a physician, although women and men get strong when they have to do what they have to do, they don't like it. It's a very critical moment to have to leave home and leave your family gatherings. And uh, it's very painful. So what can prevent that? Probably 75% of the inhabitants wouldn't be in nursing homes assisted living if they had just replenished hormones. So no matter what someone's theory is, well, I just want to go natural. Talk to a physician who's dealing with people of all ages. You want to go natural? Talk to the 80-year-olds. Go visit a nursing home. See, see how, is this how you want to wind up? So, you know, I'm drifting here a little bit. <laughs> Well, I'm curious about when when did they get the correlation that all these, well, the, the harder parts of aging, shall we say, were part of this uh, hormone loss? 
I mean, it makes perfect sense to have you say that, but. Well, I heard a lecture from a gerontologist when I was a senior in medical school. He said, oh, you senior students, you know so many thousands of diagnoses. Let me tell you what's happening to older people. They're losing their muscles through a process called sarcopenia, and they're losing their bones, and they can't walk, and they're falling on these osteoporotic bones and fracturing them, and they're dying. You want to do something for older people? Help them with their muscles and their bones. And those losses are because of, primarily because of loss of hormones in most every instance. In order to have muscles, you have to have testosterone. You can exercise. We all know how important exercise is, but it won't stave off the ultimate loss of those muscles because you need testosterone. Women and men need it. You, you want bone health, you must have hormones. If you don't have the hormones, you wind up losing bone, and then you then the propensity of a fracture is there. Did, did that answer your question? Yeah, and I want to come back to older people. But 20 years ago, when my friends and I were going through menopause, the thought of hormone replacement seemed to have a, lo a lot of risks and, you know, like the side effects that we didn't want to go, go into. And I know most of us said no, but it, I take it that's changed now that hormone replacement therapy is, for lack of a better word, much more sophisticated than it was 20, 30 years ago. Well, I'm a baby boomer. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and we had this tragic event take place. Women and men had been treated with hormones for a thousand years. Really? In the 1940s and 50s, the pharmaceutical industry picked up on this and produced a hormone for women that was derived from horse urine, dried horse urine called Premarin. It was extremely popular. There was 18 million women. 40% of all those in menopause in the United States were on Premarin or Prempro in, in, just before 2000. And then in our lifetime, in the time you were going through menopause, this, this study was reported that said there was increased risk. And it scared everyone. It was the Women's Health Initiative came out in 2002. It said women who were on hormones were at risk for breast cancer. Increased risk. It was false. Even when you read the study, there was no increase. Women who were on Premarin alone had a 21% reduction of incidence of breast cancer. 21% less incidence of breast cancer in women who were on pregnant mare urine-derived estrogens. It was Prempro that there was a 1.26, but statistically insignificant risk. Statistical insignificance in medicine means don't draw any conclusions. That same study committee that reported that in 2002 retracted it in 2017. Very few physicians and women heard about the retraction. The waters were poisoned for women scaring them about hormones in 2002. So everyone was trying to adjust. Well, maybe I don't need hormones or maybe hormones are not okay or I'm not gonna put myself at risk. I don't know if that answers your question either, but <laughs> it that's, does. The, that's the history of it. So baby boomers, 
who got whacked with this false information, yeah. scared. Even if you didn't know about it, your providers did. Healthcare doctors and nurse practitioners all over the planet were scared to treat women. They were afraid they were going to increase their risk of breast cancer. They didn't read the study carefully. They weren't, this wasn't their field of expertise, but they went along with the general press. Were you, were you aware of that Women's Health Initiative study and its impact? Uh, well, yeah, I've heard of it. I, I think what surprised me or maybe opened my eyes was the fact that, you know, say in 2000, when my friends and I were going through menopause, you know, we, we heard all the bad things. Right. It took 15, 17 years to have that study nixed. I can't remember what the word you use. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit here because there's other places I do want to go. But 17 years later, is that too late for women to, like, is there an age thing at which? No, there is not. I started treating my mother when she was 86 and my mother-in-law when she was 85 to advantage. Now, there's some caveats with women whose bodies haven't seen estrogen for 10 years. We want to know the status of your coronary arteries because there's a, a very rare, but something that we pay attention to, issue that can derive in some women who have severe coronary artery disease. Outside of that, and we we often evaluate for that. It just it, it's a stress test will tell us what we need to know if it's safe and uh, outside of that any age begin when you can begin you know that's interesting i have a lot of older women in my life and i mean i heard stories of the hot flashes and things like that as these women were approaching 80 they were still experiencing this yeah. and you know i guess i've often thought that you know, if you get too far past menopause, it doesn't help. But you're saying that no, not true. Wow. Okay. We have a um, we have a video of my mother-in-law. She had severe muscle loss, and she was using a walker in her kitchen, and she turned and lost her balance, and she fell on her tile floor and fractured her humerus, that's her arm bone, clavicle, and pelvis. Was in rehab for three months. And she couldn't walk without a walker prior to that. And when she got out of rehab, I put her on testosterone. And we have a photo of her sitting on a low couch with her hands like this, standing up without using her hands with this huge smile on her face. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that was after about three months of testosterone. Huh. Okay. So how, how do you determine which hormones are? lacking to what degree well symptoms tell us everything we want to know like if a woman for example is no longer menstruating her ovarian her ovaries have stopped that means her estrogens her progesterone and her testosterone are super low so we don't have to test i tested in the beginning but what did i learn I, uh, I I got the state-of-the-art 24-hour urine hormone testing, and I got to tell women that your hormones are low, and they got to pay $300 for me for the privilege of me telling them their hormones are low. They hadn't had a period in a year. And so 
we know that your hormones are low. There isn't a question. And we know the process by which we replenish these hormones. We replenish four of them in women, sometimes five. And I describe this in great detail in a book, a PDF version of our book that you could offer on your to all of your um, listeners. Um, if you haven't received the link from my staff, uh, just contact them. They'll give you a, a free a link for that. They can download our book for free. I describe it in great detail. I wrote it for women, so it's 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 not that technical. Yeah, we start with low dosages, and we individualize it for each woman because every woman is different. And some women are really rich in estrogen, low in progesterone. We have to honor those balances, but they're not hard to figure out for someone who's trained to do it. So you go on a process for a couple months, you replenish the hormones. My favorite is what we've produced are these organic oil base. These are these are hormones in organic oil. And so you just turn it upside down, put a few drops on your forearm, rub your arms together twice a day. That's how you do it. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. And is that the complete formula? Well, we like to in, uh, give women three different bottles. One is for estrogen in the form of biased. Another is for progesterone, which you take mostly at night. Biased, you take twice a day. And another is for testosterone combined with DHEA. And that you take in the morning. So we use three different bottles. Okay. So I also understand that we've come a long way since Premarin. And I know there was a lot of ethical issues around Premarin on how the horses were kept and things like that. But bioidentical, is is that completely sort of a natural plant base? Well, they're derived from plants. Plants produce their own hormone-type stuff, and a lot of them have it. And for example, there is a precursor to hormones called diastinin that is very prevalent in wild yams and in soy. So the pharmaceutical industry purchased the soy fields and extract this precursor diastinin from the plants. And through very sophisticated scientific techniques, they convert it into the same molecule that came out of your ovary. The same estrogens, the same progesterone, the same testosterone. It's molecularly identical. That's why they're called bioidentical. And they come from plants. That's right. <laughs> So as I say, there was that whole ethical issue around horses, but you know, with more and more people going vegetarian, vegan, it sounds like this really is a much better product, for lack of a better word. A lot of good was done by the horse urine-derived estrogens, Premarin. It was the early days, and they they needed a way to mass produce it. And yes, there were ethical issues. Not to mention that 50% of the estrogens in Premarin, a human female had never seen. But you know what? The women who were on Premarin, they did much better. They liked it, and they did really well. Now, I've never prescribed Premarin. I, when I started working, I knew about the bioidenticals, so I started right in with those. And yes, they're very elegant, and they can be highly individualized. You have compounding pharmacies. There's 8,500 of them in the United States. They can receive a prescription to be very precise 
respecting the individuality of each woman because we're all so different and we look we look alike as our you know <laughs> but biochemically some women need this estrogen to, uh, to really be healthy and happy and fertile other women need this much three times as much everyone in between so we like to individualize it and and does that ratio change as we get older or like if if a woman starts at age 50 with one product is that the product she would stay on then for as long as she's around? Well, we we, we uh, have annual visits with women, okay. no matter when they start. And we test annually. And a lot of times, once a woman's in menopause, her dosages get really stable for decades. But we're checking annually, and sometimes tweaking is needed each year. But it's usually minor. So once we determine the original dose, it pretty much stays the same over the course of decades. <laughs> and so, I mean, you say decades. So basically that's something a woman would do for the rest of her life. Absolutely. Because now she's going to live to 120. Well, we don't know that. But... <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> good, good one. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm taking testosterone every day. I wouldn't dream of not taking this every single day. I can open up the cap. That's all I got to be able to do is open up the cap and I'm good. <laughs> and you could, you could talk to a man who was losing his erection and losing his muscle strength, millions of men. And they got on testosterone and they got back their erection and their muscle strength. Tell them to stop. Why don't you stop taking it when you're 70? Because who needs it when you're 70? Or, you know, 80, your life, you know, no. People who are 80 and 90, their life means as much to them as our life means to us. So they're not going to stop. Someone who's someone who's experienced these, you, you don't want to talk to them about stopping. <laughs> I was going to ask you about men closer to the end. But now that you've brought men up, um, you've mentioned four, maybe five hormones for women does testosterone sort of do it all for men or do they have different no it doesn't it's uh men uh, we have our own complexities yeah yeah and so testosterone is at the cornerstone of it most men also need dhea and men once you start treating a man you've got to really watch out for estrogen levels and other balances and most men and women need something called a PDE5 inhibitor. So what that is, is people are familiar with Cialis and Viagra, right? Well, those were actually developed for the arteries to, to protect the arteries. And when they started giving it to humans, one of the things that men started reporting is they started getting their erection back it became known as an erectile dysfunction medication accidentally. It was really discovered because of the need for the health of the arteries. So we put all men on a Viagra or Cialis, and women too sometimes, because arterial deterioration is a big deal. And to prevent, I mean, half people who leave Earth do so from a heart attack or a stroke. So we believe in arterial protection. And uh, most men also have an element of erectile dysfunction too when they're in their 70s or 80s. 
nowadays in their 60s and their 50s and their 40s it's astounding what's happening to to men just uh, really emphasizes how interrelated our systems are like our within our bodies and you know there's no no one single panacea that's for sure when i was looking into this before before we met today I heard that there's like pills, there's injections, there's topicals, there's pellets. I didn't even know about that. You obviously, you just said you use an oil-based treatment. Does it matter in terms of uh, efficacy, which, which method you use? Well, yes and no. Any hormones done decently can do a good job. Pellets take a supreme expertise. There's so many problems with pellet injection that I'm, I'm, I'm actually opposed to them. Now, that doesn't mean that there's some pellet providers who've learned how to do it. They're out there, but there's so many errors made with pellets. And you inject something for three months, how does that work? It's the levels get really high when you inject them. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are pellet failures. But there's wonderful ways to administer it. The state of the art is really applying estrogen and testosterone to the skin. And there's many ways. There's creams, there's gels. The creams and gels are great, but they're, they're strong solvents. In order to get a poorly soluble steroid hormone up into solution, you need a strong solvent. So these creams and gels are over 99% solvent. So when we discovered that 18 years ago, my partners and I went on to develop a certified organic oils base for this. There's no solvents in it. It requires shaking prior to use, but that's about it. Because we don't want to have women applying solvents. You know, I did the math. It was a quart a year. I'm a holistic doc. We don't want the toxicity. But, you know, nothing's perfect. So if, you know, if you didn't have the oils, I would use the creams and gels. Oral estrogen, it works, but it has special complications associated with it. Like we learned from the birth control pill, which had estrogen and progesterone in there, that a certain number of women got clots in their leg veins or even they traveled to their lungs. It was rare, but it happened. And that was mainly because of the oral use of estrogen. So there's been a lot of oral estrogen administered and a lot of folks who did not get clots, but the clots occurred. And so I don't, we're going for the highest safety and efficacy possible. Also to get body levels up with an oral, you need quite a bit more higher dosages. And they happen to go right to the liver and they can provoke the uh, production of coagulation proteins, which is how you get thrombophlebitis and, and inflammatory proteins. So oral for estrogen and testosterone, no. Oral for progesterone works good. And so does oral DHEA works good. So it all depends on the hormone we're talking about. But mine, uh, I want to give you my best shot. And my best shot is for estrogen and testosterone, topical for sure does it matter sort of where on the body is there any place that's better than others yeah absorption is different from other parts and we give very specific instructions 
about where we suggest that a woman apply her estrogen, for example. But it, it's not that big of a deal. The, the skin is very absorbent. And we, we, there's special reasons why we like special places for women to apply their estrogen and men to apply their testosterone. But it's pretty easy. Once you get into that world, the instructions are pretty easy. Okay, so I'm going to go with younger women now. Apparently, these hormone depletions start sometimes as early as your 30s. Yeah. At what point in time should a woman start thinking about looking at some sort of hormone replacement? Well, women and men, we peak. The highest amount of hormone we ever produce is when we're 20, plus or minus a couple of years. And we decline. And sometimes those declines happen faster than others, woman to woman. And yes, you're right. Sometimes women in their 30s, they're having a steeper and earlier decline of progesterone. So one of the first things that happens that's pretty common is instead of estrogen and progesterone being perfectly balanced, the progesterone is declining faster and deeper. So you get an overstimulation from the estrogen because the progesterone is not there to balance it. So early 30s. So if a woman didn't have severe cramps in her 20s and then she starts getting more severe cramps or migraines or PMS, these are symptoms of hormonal imbalance. And the usual one is the more significant decline of progesterone. So if all of this is staggering, the amount of information you can bump into, I'd like to simplify it for you if I could. Oh, absolutely. And also, I think it'd be interesting for me to cover the subject of risk, if you want. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, appreciate but it. But to, to simplify it, in the old days, you took one pill of Premer in a day and you did great. And you know you did good. But things have advanced so far that the knowledge base has exploded. And there's, there's so many ways that we can do an excellent and individualized program that you don't have to go to medical school to do that. That the, you're, but you do have a single job, one specific job. You got to go hunting. Because physicians and nurse practitioners were not trained in medical school on how to treat hormones, you have to find one that does treat with hormones, that has special education and love for treating women in menopause, for example. You got to go hunt for them. The specialty got so discouraged because of that false scare that there's not a lot of people who specialize in, there, in them. And that's where you get the, the people who specialized in it, who got special training and have a special interest in it, and better yet, have become specialists in it. These are who you're hunting for. And they're out there. And there's, there's several ways to find, because that's the job of an individual woman, is to find a healthcare provider that is a physician or nurse practitioner or PA that they like and trust who has the special training. That's your job. 
and you interview them if you, or you go shopping you try one you didn't quite like them you find one that you like that you know is knowledgeable and you trust that's the single most job of any woman find that talk to your friends invariably there's someone in your network who has found that physician go to a local compounding pharmacy there's 8500 of them in the united states go in in person and ask to speak to the pharmacist, compounding pharmacist. They're the ones receiving prescriptions from healthcare providers, and they know who's good. They're the ones who know who's doing really good work. Ask them. Contact us. I spend 80% of my time training and mentoring physicians and nurse practitioners. You can contact us. But that's your main job, is to find someone you like who knows what they're doing. Yeah, and it's such a tough one. Um, we're, I'm in Canada, and right now finding a, a health practitioner, period, is such a challenge. Like, so many people do not have a family doctor of any description. So I can see that... Uh, Where are you in Canada? I'm on the West Coast, on Vancouver Island. Well, we know some... You're on Vancouver Island. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. I've, I've been there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, we think so. <laughs> and, well, there is a um, gynecologist in... Vancouver that we've just started communicating with. We have a very high level of interest in Canada. My my brother was able to escape getting drafted into the Vietnam War in, in 1968. And so he's a Canadian citizen. So I've got a bunch of nieces in Vancouver. I'm treating them right now, but we need to find a provider in Vancouver. So we're hot on the trail yeah. of doing it. And my nieces in Vancouver are taking our hormones. <laughs> oh, good to know. We'll just uh, yeah, stay on your mailing list. And as soon as you so they're they're Canada. hunting, they're hunting. <laughs> That's and they great. Found, they found a really good obstetrician gynecologist, I believe, hmm. in Vancouver. I I don't know her name, but uh, we're working on it. Well, I know the compounding pharmacies are gaining in popularity too. There's more and more. Yeah. So go in, months. go in and talk yeah. to them because they know who's prescribing. Yeah. Okay, um, we've been bouncing around my notes here. This is great. You've you really covered a lot of stuff. I really appreciate that. Would you like to, me to talk about risk? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you mentioned that when we got side, sidetracked. False information was given about risk, as I mentioned. So I want to tell you what the science is. Mm -hmm. We're all at risk for thousands of diagnoses. Some of them are not good. We're at risk for hundreds of cancers. As a male, I'm at especially increased relative risk for prostate cancer, and there are reasons why. Women are at special relative increased risk for breast cancer, and there are reasons why. It wasn't always this way. However, given all that information that we are at risk, women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who do not receive hormonal treatment. Even women who have had breast cancer and had that breast cancer properly treated, they happen to be at increased relative risk for a recurrence. However, they're at less risk of a recurrence if they're treated with hormones than if they are not treated with hormones. That's the science. You can find that in chapter three of my book if you want to have your folks download it. 
And then I reference the uh, oncologist, breast cancer expert, who's written a book on this called Estrogen Matters. Uh, the, all the risk information is detailed in great detail there. Less risk. So what was publicized was false. It was the opposite of what was true. Less risk is what is true. And, and so often, as you said earlier, you know, like a, a study can be publicized or and even <laughs> results that aren't true publicized. But when that's rescinded, revoked, disqualified, however you want to put it, that news so rarely hits the mainstream. That's been the tragedy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so frustrating. Okay, can I go totally sideways here? Because I read one thing about you that really interested me. Nurse practitioners. Now, up here, they're really striding forward in both popularity and respect. Um, And I understand you had something to do with nurse practitioners. I trained the very first six nurse practitioners on the planet in Albuquerque. I was the medical advisor to the first six. I know their names. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know what I was getting into because friends of mine asked me, would I do this? And I said, sure. But I didn't know there was no, you know, nurse practitioners was just a concept. But about three weeks into training them, I went, oh, my, this is going to explode. These people are really caring. They really have the patient's welfare at heart. This is really going to get popular. Now in the United States, there's 250,000 nurse practitioners. So when did this start? 1972, Albuquerque. Oh, wow. That long ago, and yet it's taken this long for them to really be mainstream, or at least up here. Yeah, it's it's taken a while, but they are mainstream, that's for sure. Yeah, Yeah, great. Oh, that's great. Okay, I saw the menopause method. Yeah. That's yours. Can you just tell us about that, or is this what you've been telling us for the last while? Well, I've been describing aspects of it, but we call it the menopause method but in a way, I think it's falsely named. We really just kept searching after, well, what works? What's right? What's individual? What is the what is the body's calling for? So the method really emerged out of me dealing with patients and addressing uh, with precision the needs of the patient. So it's a method. Yes, it is a method. It's extensive. We have we have a I spend most of my time training. We have a 12-hour online training program for physicians and nurse practitioners, but it's not our method. It's the method of the of the body. More, more. It's it's just us paying attention to well, what is the body and what is the individuals really like. So that's really what we've developed. We do have the uh, we do have the organic oils. We think that's very important, and we're very strong advocates of 24-hour urine hormone testing because it's the main thing that works when you're trying to assess hormone levels. So that's in the method, but these are all, we all, we just listened and paid attention. And so that's what we've been figuring out. I mean, it is a compliment when I say that's a novelty. (laughs) (laughs) Listening. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think mid-age women should think about? No, we're 100%. We've covered everything in the planet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking specifically about hormones, is there anything? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. <laughs> okay. You know, I've covered some of the highlights. 
And I always like to emphasize that the only job of any individual woman is to go hunting and shopping to find a, a licensed healthcare provider who really loves this work and has taken the time to get a, a further education in it. And that's the main job I'd like to leave you with. You can learn a lot, and that's why I wrote the book for women. I wrote it um, in the early 2000s. I thought the more women knew, the more they know what to ask for. And there is a process, so the better they'd be at doing that process. But you don't need any of it. You just need to do one thing. You just need to find that healthcare provider that you like, that's interested in this stuff and trained in it. Then it's you're home free. And you'll go through a process, and you can learn about that process in my book. But you want their guidance. You want someone experienced. We're playing with powerful stuff here. We want to get it right. All right. Go go hunting. That's my that's my uh, final answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I I can only think of one doctor that I have had over the years and in the different places I've lived, who, after my first chat with him, said, "Do I get the job?" He 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 said, "This is a job interview. You are interviewing me." <laughs> and I went, "Whoa!" You know, that was just such a such a treat to understand that you know you you got to have somebody that you can trust, feel comfortable with, like all that sort of stuff. So yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Where do we find you on the world wide web? www.bright b r i t e dot live. B-R-I-T-E dot live. Okay. Right dot live. <laughs> I'm going to fill in the blanks here myself. You've got several um, other websites, um, Menopause Method. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I wonder, I wonder, doctor. Now, is that open for anybody to, to browse? Yes, through? it is. Uh, there's no charge. We were, my son and I were funded to, um, for four years to produce to try and get down in video form the core holistic health information. So that's what I wonder doctors about. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm very grateful to the benefactor who funded this. And yeah, there's 180 videos there. Holy crow. Okay. There's a, there's a whole section on menopause. It's a good place for women to start, by the way. Oh, okay. I wonder doctor. I wonder doctor. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great name. And I just, as I browse through my tabs here, I do have the link to your um, Happy Healthy Hormones Good. book. So I will make sure that's uh, in the show notes as well. Okay, website links are always in the show notes. Um, all of the links, because you're on social media too, I believe. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of the links are in your bio, part of your bio on our website. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's Podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. For early access of upcoming episodes, there's a sign up under this conversation at Boom With A Bang. Share this episode with your women friends. Like I said in the intro, we may have gone through menopause with 
varying degrees of success. But the info has moved forward. And we need to make sure that we take care of our own health on a go-forward basis because we're all going to live to 120. But we also need to know that we're sharing newer, better information with our younger peers and our daughters. David Rosensweet, thank you so much for being my guest today. Agnes Knowles, it was a privilege and a, a gift. Thank you. Have a great rest of week. You too.